0: Happy New Year and welcome, everybody, to episode 51 of The Ascent of Board Games. This is going to be a heck of an episode, and I say that not because we have a particularly exciting or unique topic to talk about, but it's just kind of an adventure for everyone. Mike has something resembling strep throat, and also apparently his microphone is doing weird things to him. Jason is recovering from surgery.
1: Minor, minor surgery
0: Minor, yes, yes, minor surgery in his face (laughs) So I'm not going to go into all the details But he's going to sound very stuffed up And we appreciate his soldiering through and being here I'm fine, Frank I think is fine Recovering from RSV, so Oh, okay
2: I have a cough. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm not nearly as interesting as some of <laughs> right, our other co exactly. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's a commitment, so thank you all for being here. In all fairness, Joe, it really doesn't get more interesting than facial surgery. So
2: you're not wrong.
3: You guys should see how beautiful Jason is going to be. <laughs> I'm
1: excited. He
2: replaced
3: his skull with a metal
0: replica. So <laughs> yes. He's officially Cyber Jason from here on out.
2: Oh God, I wish that was so. <laughs> I'm worried about that cyber psychosis. But it'll be fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably fine.
0: This episode, which we were recording about a week before Christmas, is basically the oh God, we need a January episode, and we don't have a good collection of concepts yet. So we're going to be looking forward to some of the games that we are especially looking forward to playing in 2023. In a lot of cases, these are things that we have on various crowdfunding platforms that are theoretically going to be here in 2023. We have some very optimistic dates written on our spreadsheet, which we can look back and laugh at later. And then some are just games that are coming out that we're anxious to play. So we're going to sort of spin this one kind of like we did the previous episode, the 2022 wrap up, and just kind of go around the table and see what people are looking forward to. And we'll do it in alphabetical order like we did last time, which means I get to go first. I've got mine listed in the order they are optimistically anticipated to arrive. And the first one on my list is Stationfall, which should be coming anytime now. From Iron Game Design, designed by Matt Eklund. So those of you who have been listening for a while have probably heard me talk about The Artifact, which was a ridiculously ambitious, conceptually powerful, but not actually very playable game of a bunch of different people on a space station, each doing different factions, each trying to obtain different things. You have a GM wandering around telling everyone what they can see. It's a game I always really wanted to work, but just couldn't make it happen. The good news is that Stationfall seems like it is a much more playable version of the same concepts. It's still kind of complicated. I still don't know if it's going to succeed or fail, but gosh darn it, I want to try. So the basic concept is you're all on a space station, which is having some issues and is the process of falling back down to Earth, at which point it will burn up and everybody on board will die. For a four-player game, there's like 12 characters out on the board, and there's a total of, I think, almost 30 of them in the game. And each of those characters kind of has their own special abilities and technical skills. And everybody at the beginning of the game gets some of those characters in their hand, and you choose one of them who is actually you. When you are taking your turn, you can have any character on the game take an action. You put some influence tokens on them, or maybe use blackmail or anything. But anyway, you can get them to do actions. So I'm going to have the Astrochimp go into this room and turn off all the oxygen. And I'm going to have this guy come over here and 3D print a gun. And then at some point during the game, as everyone goes around doing all these actions, with all these characters, someone's going to reveal, okay, the Astro Chimp is actually me. And at that point, other people can't do actions with your character, and you're trying to finish your objectives and get out of the game. It's got a little bit of almost a Nemesis vibe, I think. Almost everybody is trying to escape the ship, but a lot of people are trying to escape with certain items or with certain people or not with other people or make sure other people die. It looks like it's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be complicated. I don't think it's going to get to the table often, but I think it could be a lot of fun. The character concepts are really interesting. There's everything from a generic, you know, hi, I'm the scientist, I'm the botanist, I'm the police inspector, to there is a doctor who has two different personalities, sort of Jekyll and Hyde style, and depending on which one they are, they may have different objectives. There is a hyper-intelligent lab rat, which is using telekinesis to get things. There's a, some sort of hideous science experiment, which of course the corporation wants to retrieve. It just looks like it's a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a commitment to play this, but I'm definitely going to do it when it gets here, possibly even before you hear this episode. We'll see.
1: That'd be awesome. I uh, like the, the fact that it basically is a table into itself. Looking at mm-hmm. the game board. Holy crap. <laughs> like- yeah, it has a big old map.
0: <laughs> I don't remember if I got the sort of the neoprene matte version or just the regular board.
1: I mean, you got to glitz it up, Brian.
3: Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Now, I really want a board game that's like, set up the board by unfolding its table legs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure We would be happy to sell you a $20,000 table for that.
3: Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, just with the, the station full map inlaid.
1: Yeah, there you go.
3: I'm very sad that you've compared this to Nemesis because uh, I hate
1: that game. game. <laughs> I
0: know.
4: That's why I was warning you in advance, Mike. <sighs> Nemesis is awesome. What's wrong with you?
3: Well, here's the problem. is like, I really like everything that you've just described. Uh It all sounds really cool, but also I can see how, much like in Nemesis, if there are directly competing things that people want to do that are mechanically tedious, then this game is going to fall quickly off my desire to play.
0: Sure, I can see that. There is a version on Tabletop Simulator if people wanted to try it sometime. But like I said, the physical version should be around sometime soon.
2: Don't worry, Jason. I got the neoprene mat. Yay. Even day, even <laughs> <day>.
1: <laughs> you are a man of distinction.
0: And indeed. That's the first one on my list. Stationfall from Ion.
2: I just got the neoprene mat. Not the game. Just the <laughs> wow. Just to
0: show me up. I see how it is. I see how it is.
1: Oh, no, I also got the game. I'm sorry, oh, okay. I'm just <laughs> That was a mistake, though. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: I just wanted a neoprene mat. I'm just trying to get a neoprene back collection going.
0: Yeah, frame them on the walls. It'll be very
4: nice. Definitely. All right, Frank, what do you have for us? So my first one is a likely 2023. It's actually not even on Kickstarter yet. But they generally <laughs> have their games done and starting into production. That They use just to scale their production, so they're pretty much done with it. And this is Maladom by Battle Systems, uh, UK company. They started with cool cardstock stand-up for minis, so I like, can get a full fantasy village for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, I have some of their terrain. They did two science fiction games called Core Space, and a whole line of Core Space stuff, which is the first one's more skirmish second one is more of a co-op Space Hulk kind of crawl through an abandoned facility with a full campaign and everything. And their system's really solid, very miniature-based, but they're doing a fantasy version called Maladim, which they're kickstarting probably in January. And they'll put it straight into production. This means that you're going to get a fantasy game with, you know, all the bells and whistles, and Battle Systems Dungeon Terrain, which, oh my god, looks amazing. And I was a sucker for that Legends of the Dark 3D stuff. But this is a a lot more interesting in terms of modularity and what they're doing with terrain and a solid system behind it. That's always helpful. Very cool.
0: Jason, what do you have coming?
1: This will be a a repeat for anyone who's listened to this podcast for any period of time. A Thousand and One Odysseys. It's no secret here that we love paragraph games. And I would have loved to have this game back in March 2020 when it was supposed to come out. <laughs> well, March 2020. To be fair, oh, that's that brilliant. was yeah. That was the beginning of the end times. Sure, sure. And at this rate, it's going to be three years late by next year. But it's Chris. I think it's Sezlik, Alice, Dutton, Sarah, Fruqui, Sorry, Julia Urquod, and it's done by Osmotic Games. Essentially, you're humans in the first like interstellar ship called the Odyssey and you're encountering crazy, weird little space uh, civilizations. And it's a paragraph game. So people are manning different stations in the spacecraft, exploring, meeting new people, going on like missions. It's kind of your typical paragraph game. But, I mean, the art's really great. Joe's got a little uh, a plushie of, a, what they call it, a plumpkin, I think? Plum plim? Yeah, pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little, little like a little radish person. <laughs> I played a session at one of the conventions I went to. We had a good time. I played the tabletop simulator thing that they did a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. I had a good time with that. I think it'll be fun. It's just, at some point, you got to call the project done <laughs> and release it. So um, hopefully it'll come out next year. I would like to actually play it at some point. But yeah, I mean, it's I can't really recommend it because I don't really know if it's ever going to come out. But um, it shows promise so far, and I really hope it does.
0: Yeah, it looks like it's going to be fun. I'm sort of putting it in the where will this be vis-a-vis the next Song of Ice and Fire book? Because, you know, they're obviously putting a lot of effort into doing it. I'm anxious to see what it's like, but it's still under revision, so I'm anxious to see what it looks like.
1: Yeah, I will give them credit. They have taken the time to actually kind of streamline some of the things and readjust things to kind of what seems like to me to to improve it, so I'll give them that credit at least.
0: Yeah, the art and the sort of humor style of it kind of reminds me of Star Saga. Oh, sure. long-time listeners will know it's one of our all-time favorites. So I'm anxious to see this if and when it arrives.
3: I vaguely remember playing this game. It's been so long (laughs) now. I'm just not confident that this game is ever going to come out, really.
1: I mean, the company has a pretty decent track record. This is definitely the most delayed they've ever had anything. Mm -hmm. I think what many people have found is that paragraph games are hard. (laughs)
0: Turns out there's a lot of editing to be done with the references. Yeah. But
3: here's my question to y'all, as people who actually back this game, have they given y'all any indication that would suggest that it is coming out this year? or you mean in 2023?
1: Year?
3: Yes. Yeah, definitely. What evidence is there that...
1: They like giving you word counts, which I'm like, I don't care about word counts. That means nothing to me. I think they released a new tabletop simulator module. It's like much like any Kickstarter game.
2: They are doing the things that you would do if you're so good to deliver, which is they continue to be active on their Kickstarter. Okay. Like posting, okay. like they've posted, I don't know, 50 updates. They post one update a month that each update has at least something new. It's mostly, it's been like art yeah. and assets kind of showing how they've updated assets. They're doing so all they the So they are things. making
3: forward progress. Yeah. yeah. So they're okay. definitely doing things.
2: They're doing all the things that you would do if you're going to deliver on a game. Okay. They're not like apologizing. I mean, they are. They have apologized, but they don't have updates that's just like "I'm sorry." Right. <laughs> My <Yeah>. cat exploded.
3: <laughs> There's definitely stuff going on. I hate it when your cat explodes. That yeah, just
1: it takes worst. away everything. It's the number one cause of Kickstarter delays. Cats exploding.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of the things they mentioned in a recent update is that they may just like do a short print run for backers of like, here's book one.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. I, did, I did yeah. like that. Here
0: yeah. you can go to at least get started and we'll send the rest of it when it's done kind of thing, which I think is fine.
2: Yeah, They recognize the fact that they're way behind, but they're also like, we want this game to be amazing mm-hmm. and that's what we're driving towards. So
0: I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point.
2: Yeah, I think so. This is going to be one of those kind of games, I think when it comes out, that you just couldn't put into retail, the um, size of it. Mm-hmm. right? So something you really only get with Kickstarter where... The Kickstarter was so big. They're like, "Oh, cool! We like all of our dreams have come true. Let's go figure out our dreams now." Mm-hmm. You know,
4: and yeah, this is that company's first big sprawling game, mm-hmm. and those are a different kind of thing. They've done you know much smaller, impressive, but much smaller games. So this is their first big game. So it's taking them way too long.
3: Yeah. yeah, and not to tangent too much, but I don't kickstart video games anymore on Kickstarter because. If they are good enough to get through Kickstarter process, they'll just be readily available, and also, they take infinitely long to develop.
2: I have also stopped kickstarting video games in general because of that.
3: It is weird, though, how that is not necessarily true for board games, because, like, you look at something like the first big one that I can think of, like Gloomhaven Mm. or Kingdom Death, like, it is a miracle that Gloomhaven made it to a general release. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was why they Kickstarter is like no publisher in their right mind would do this.
3: Right.
2: I mean, for board games, like the number of board games that you can only get through a Kickstarter is way higher than almost any other medium. That doesn't happen to books. It doesn't like anything else that's on Kickstarter. Right. Like lots of the Kickstarters. Right. If they have a Kickstarter, the final result will likely be purchasable by you. Mm-hmm. For board games, that's just not true half the time i'd say right like they like hey we did a release on kickstarter and what they learned during that kickstarter release is cool this is our audience we don't really have more audience out there yep yep and so we're not going to do another print run where the three people who want it and fail to back it aren't going to get it yeah that's just the difference with the way board game kickstarter works
0: mm-hmm. you guys got me curious so i went back and looked and the only crowdfunded video game i have on right now is Mask of the Rose, which is from the Fallen London Sunless Skies people, and it's just because I love that setting so much. It's like a visual novel dating sim kind of thing, which is, none of that is in my wheelhouse, but (laughs) I love that setting so much, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Joe, what is on your list?
2: So what is on my list, and also we might have played it by the time this episode actually comes out, is Deep Rock Galactic, the board game. It's a four-player cooperative board game based on Deep Rock Galactic, the video game.
3: Joe, I really appreciate your optimism here.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, they they are shipping this month, right? Like, I may not have it this month, but they started shipping.
3: Yep, yep. But you said we might play it by the time this airs. Hey, man. Hey, man. And I appreciate
2: that optimism. Joe lives in hope. instantly when they arrive. (laughs) That's our stated goal.
3: Would you take a look around your room and just tell me how many <laughs> board games are there that we haven't done
2: that? Shut up. That's why. Shut up. Alright, so Deep Rock Galactic published by Mood Publishing, designed by Ole Stades? Sure. In Deep Rock Galactic, right, you were a bunch of dwarves who are traveling through a mine trying to collect resources or do some specific mission. And there's a bunch of aliens there. The game is very entertaining. I'm pretty excited for the board game. I think the video game will kind of translate well to the board game aesthetic.
0: It's really interesting to me because there's a lot of video games that are having board game versions come out at the present time. Yeah. Deep Rock Galactic is fairly far down on the list of ones that I thought would benefit from a board game version because it's kind of FPSy, mm-hmm. and it just didn't strike me as a thing. So I'm curious to see how it comes out.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, the translation I think will work really well. We'll see. I mean, mm-hmm. like, obviously, I may be wrong, uh, but I think it'll work pretty well. So they did it function area control game, mm-hmm. right? Where you and your dwarves are trying to get to resources, mine them, and keep all the bugs off of you. I think it'll work pretty well. It's definitely going to feel a lot different sure. than the game. I- I'm hopeful that they will kind of have the same general aesthetic. Obviously, since it's a first person shooter, it's not going to have the same game aesthetic.
0: Right. <laughs> see, now I have to go look at some pictures because. The game is very vivid, the video game, and I'm wondering if... Okay, no, it looks like the color palette in the board game is a little more sane. So That is true. Cool. Mike, is it Arkham Horror the Card Game?
2: (laughs) Brian, (laughs) Sorry, spoilers. spoilers.
3: (laughs) I mean, I am really looking forward to more Arkham Horror the the Living Card Game. (laughs) No, so I did not put that on my list because we actually just released a new expansion. Before the holidays, so we got that to play through. And Jason and I, we've fallen behind, Jason.
1: I know, I know. But the problem is everyone keeps getting sick and I keep getting shipped out of state for work, so... Yeah, that's true.
3: So my first one is also a Kickstarter. It's two, but I really just want to talk about one of them. And that's a duo of games from Flyos Games called Vampire the Masquerade Chapters and Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliation. Both of these are... Role-playing board games, I think is the best way to describe them. They are a tactical miniatures games that have role-playing choice moments that take place in the world of darkness, and I like all those things, so I've backed it. This is a relatively new company. They've not really done anything before this, so, you know, that's going to be exciting. Oh, sorry, some warning bells just went off. (laughs) Yeah... Yeah, but we'll see. They seem to have done pretty well. I've liked what I've seen of their material for the game. So Yeah, agreed. I don't think this is going to be for everybody. I think this is going to be very specifically, I'm going to tailor the group I play this with because I could <laughs> very easily see people not enjoying it. Like those named Joe? Like those named Joe. I'm not a <laughs>
2: fool. I learn from my mistakes. <laughs> what I'm in for a Vampire, let's do it.
0: I'm a big fan of the World of Darkness. I back this one as well, so hopefully one of us gets it. I mean,
2: ultimately, what we know is Mike doesn't actually understand what I don't like about games.
3: (laughs) That is true. That is true. I think the one big problem I had with this company is that they started the Werewolf the Apocalypse Kickstarter before actually releasing their vampire game, which, from a business standpoint, there was probably some stuff going on with, like, White Wolf, or whoever owns Werewolf at this, mm-hmm. p- or World of Darkness at this point, being like, "Hey, y'all need to go." I can also very much see there being like, "Oh, well, what if they don't like Vampire? Then nobody's going to kick Werewolf, even though they are very different games." Mm-hmm.
2: Who's this done by? Actually,
3: Flyos is the publisher. The designers are Thomas Felipe and Gary Pytra?
2: It's because, like, Renegade is the one I think that currently owns the. RPG publishing. and they also do board games, so it's interesting it's not under their banner.
0: There was also another recent Vampire the Masquerade game called Heritage, which I backed and got and have not really delved into yet, which is by a different company called Nice Game Publishing, or maybe Nice Game Publishing, although it looks like they're Greek rather than French.
4: Yeah, I think Paradox Interactive actually owns all the licenses. Oh, uh, that's right. That's... And they're a non-board game company, so I think they're just licensing it. Sure. Huh. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really
3: dig the artwork for these games. It is very much in line with the World of Darkness stuff that I particularly enjoy. So, I'm looking forward to these. I have played through the Werewolf tabletop simulator demo, and it's got a relatively deep character creation system. The progression of characters looks really good, and y'all know my desires for character progression in a campaign game. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. I'm I in when this one arrives. Excellent, excellent. Please so note, I. So I did I. not pressure anybody <laughs> to play this. So it's not my fault.
2: I'm hopeful that what doesn't happen is I don't play the first scenario of this game <laughs> 700 times and cause me to hate it. That, that never
0: be- happens, Joe. So the next one on my list... It's interesting because I always talk about how I really like long, epic, story-driven games, and most of the ones on my list for next year are not that. The next one on my list is Hegemony, Lead Your Class to Victory, which is not the kind of game I would normally have expected myself to back, and I have, honestly, some serious questions for past me. But it's basically sort of a Euro-style economic-slash-political simulator, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Each player is going to be playing the lower class, the working class, the stock market functionally, and the state. And you're going to be doing things like balancing health insurance and dealing with immigration. So it's got some political factors going on, obviously. It looks very well thought out. It's very asymmetrical. The production values seem very high, and I'm honestly interested to see how it works. I was interested enough when the Kickstarter came out to have backed it. There is various stuff available as far as demos and tabletop ceiling. I haven't really gotten into any of them, so this one is going to kind of be a surprise when it comes out, but even though it's not sort of my typical bag, I'm interested to see how it works. It has gotten very high praise from people like Cole Worley, who knows a thing or two about asymmetrical board games. I think it's going to be interesting.
2: Looking at the board design, Mm -hmm. it looks like this is going to be the kind of game where at a convention, someone will walk by and say, look at that game and say, I don't, what (laughs) is even happening right now? There are
4: a lot of spaces on the board and a lot of little trackers going back and forth. Or just a big giant, nope. (laughs)
0: I mean, yes, this is one that may wind up not being for me, but it looks interesting enough that I'm keen to at least get it to the table once and see what happens.
4: Oddly enough, I totally want to play this, because this is actually my kind of, not really Euro, but, or two Euro Mm -hmm. for Euro players or something.
0: And because I didn't say it earlier, this is by Hegemonic Project Games, designed by Vangelis Bagiartakis and Varnavus Timotheo, which, like I say, I'm guessing is a Greek crew. So we'll see how it goes.
2: Yeah, just like zooming into this, like just the craziness of this board is utterly fascinating.
0: Don't think of it as crazy. Think of it as full of options.
1: The question is, is this board bigger than stage of or the same size?
0: I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody has their individual player boards, of course, to keep track of the different things. But
1: That center board looks pretty big.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of stuff. It's a big board with a lot of workers and jobs on it. You know, we'll see. I may wind up regretting this one. I may like it a lot. I'll let you know when it gets here.
4: So let's see. My next one is pretty easy. It's in our wheelhouse. Artisans of Splendid Vale, Veil, designed by Nikki Valens. This one's starting to ship next week, so we might have it by the end of this year. Future Brian says, I've got mine. We'll definitely have it next year.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Renegade Games is publishing this one, which is yay them.
0: They're on fire
4: lately. I know. Really? They really are. They've got John DeClaire and Nikki Valens, I, two of my favorite designers, so I'm That's good, group. This is a big old campaign co op kind of thing. She's doing a few things different in this one. First of all, every character has their own paperback book. It's like 300 pages. <laughs> yeah, for each one. And so you have your own text and your own kind of parts of the narrative. So it encourages everyone to read events. And parts of the narrative will only show up if that character's in play. Mm -hmm. But also, these are all crafters. So the entire purpose for going out and killing monsters and such is to gain items for crafting. So you're really focused on the artisan part of that. The game itself, obviously, is paragraph-driven but then uses the kind of storybook from Mice and Mystics and her own quirky circuits. So it's got that model for really quick setup, and it just looks nice. (laughs) Everyone has their own sheet for how they craft, so there's a different mechanism there, an idea that just really makes me happy. Yeah, those look fun. I know.
2: Okay, so besides Frank, who has already ordered this game? I have. Every time we talk about this game, I get closer to buying mm-hmm. it. It's like <laughs> yeah. Incrementally, just like buying it on Game Steward.
0: Yeah. For me, I saw a new game from Nikki Valens. It's like,
4: well, I'm buying that. <laughs> yeah. It'll probably make it in retail as well. So,
0: One thing I wanted to mention about this game, because it was interesting to me when I was doing some lookups this morning, I found an interesting thread on The Geek about it. Nicky Valens is a very outspoken LGBTQ plus advocate. And all of the characters in this game are in some way on that spectrum. They're gay or asexual or queer in some fashion. And that was one thing that when I was thinking about the game, it's like, you know, well, I mean, I'm as straight, cis-head, white guy as you come. And I was like, well, that might put me off a little bit. And then I was thinking of a thing on The Geek that I saw. And it's basically like, oh, so basically I'm having to play a character that is not like me, like all of the gay players for most of the history of board gaming. And <laughs> yeah. they put in that perspective, it was like,
3: oh yeah, no, that's a good point. It is interesting, the character work on these looks very reminiscent of the new trend in animation, especially kids' animation, that yeah. follows along with, oh gosh, what is that series called?
1: Steven's Universe?
3: Steven's Universe, mm-hmm. yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. I can see it. But yeah, the artwork on it's really has that kind of bright, colorful, illustrated kid style that, yeah, agreed, I love. And also, instead of miniatures, it's all these amazingly gorgeous, cute meeples mm-hmm. that I'm kind of slightly smitten by, which is weird. They're
1: <laughs> yeah, they had a setup of this out at a Jed and it looks amazing in person. Like, it's really striking. Yeah.
0: yeah. This was also on my list. I didn't put it on my top five, but I'm looking forward to it. It reminded me a little bit of what was the one you were talking about last episode, Frank? Galzir. Where- Land- Galzir, yeah. It seems like it has a little bit of that same energy going on, so... Yeah. Jason, what you got for us?
1: Well, I'm only going to talk about games that have the word Odyssey in them. So oh, okay. Let's talk <laughs> about Aeon <laughs> Trespass Odyssey, which, I'll be honest, not a big fan of that name. I forget it, like, literally constantly. <laughs> It's designed by Morrison Wilnicki and by Into the Unknown. This game was supposed to release in January of 2021, but as of three days ago, it just came out at my house anyway. All 38 pounds of it showed up. (laughs) It's so funny. The box itself looks like it's deliberately a nod to Kingdom Death Monster. Mm -hmm. It's literally just a white, super long coffin box like Kingdom Death Monster. With
4: spot UV for the everything. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost impossible to see what the logos are on it. Like, I was like, well, maybe it's just the pictures aren't picking up on it. No, you just can't see them in real life. Like, this is a really odd choice, guys, but okay. Essentially, it's a, it's a cooperative game. Very much like Kingdom Death Monster, you are basically, it's a boss battler. The kind of differences here are, first of all, it's very Greek-inspired. You are traveling around a world map in the Argo, which is like a comically huge version of like a Greek ramming ship. Like, it has, like, freaking structures and, and, like, a forest on it. The story is that the gods have been destroyed by something called the Primordials, and mm-hmm. the few human heroes around have tamed the Titans and are piling them like freaking Neon Genesis in a Galeon I'm like, I'm in! I'm in! Let's go! So, part of the game is that exploration, moving the Argo around, managing the Argo, developing your Titans, equipping them, but the other part is, like, fighting the bosses and fighting them. What I liked about it other than just, like, it's a wild setting, is the fact that in the combat, their entire goal is to make combat get more interesting as the fight goes on. And so what I mean by that is, as you start to take damage, you start to get, oh, what are they called? It's like fate, rage, and... I can't remember what the third is. As you take damage, and as things happen to you in the battle, your Titan gets damaged, of course, but also becomes more powerful. Your power output goes through the roof, and it's much more high-risk, high-reward. So it's like, well... I could avoid this damage, or I could take it because my next punch is going to be incredibly powerful. So a lot of the combat, from as I understand it, is like trying to get like tokens assigned to the monster that'll make the next person's attack much easier, but it might mean you get your shit kicked out of you for a little bit, and maybe you might not survive. The titans are kind of... I wouldn't say they're kind of disposable, but you will have more titans than you need. So like, just like in Kingdom Death, like, well, I really like this character, but their genitals got crushed and then their legs got <laughs> torn off, so I guess I'm not using them anymore. I have very high hopes for it. I hope it lives up to at least some of them, because I've got a lot more of this crap showing up at some <laughs> points. <laughs>
3: Jason, my biggest problem with this game is that all of the bosses can just be beat by throwing both thrusters forward while screaming.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. This is off of Ava, Mike, so you have to have an existential uh, crisis. Oh, right, right, right.
3: <laughs> okay, okay. I have to have to self-examine my own depression.
1: That's right.
3: <laughs> no, no. And then no, no. I win. Mike,
1: Mike, don't
2: self-examine. Never self-examine. You're an anime character. You don't do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. The first part of the game is just running away until someone drags your ass back into the mech Yeah, pilot it but yeah i'd love use the call over and over and over (laughs) again (laughs) acts one through three refuse the call
0: (laughs) for viewers like me who are not anime watchers this is all really funny to a small subgroup of people
2: (laughs) yes yes it is man
1: jason you're not kidding about how they ripped off oh my god (laughs) box oh yeah It's, it's hilarious oh yeah oh man like, just look at the map design. Like, it, the
4: showdown it's, board is absolutely yeah. wait. It looks, I mean, you could swap it with the Kingdom Dust showdown
1: board. Uh-huh. And, oh, yeah. i
4: not notice. <laughs> but the weird thing is the core box is three campaigns. Yeah. Five that we're going to get, and mine shows up tomorrow. So, yeah.
1: Nice. Well, lift your legs. <laughs> this is my recommendation. Jason, yeah. I'm hype. I'm in. Let's do it. All right. Sure. Yeah. I just need two more players. We'll be all set. Uh, uh, I mean,
0: sure. I like playing games.
1: Excellent. You're Allegedly. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I would love to get this out, guys. That means I have to learn it. Crap. <laughs> but yeah, like, I think at some points, like, the actual boss minis have different levels where your titans are crawling all over them, trying to get to weak spots and stuff. So it's going to be a bunch of nonsense, but hopefully it'll be fun nonsense. Excellent. I like but that. But yeah, anime. that's uh, Eon Trespass Odyssey. Again, the worst name I've ever come across, but uh, hopefully a good game.
2: Oh, great. They also have stupid pointless pinups as well man they really just jack all <laughs> oh, their yeah.
1: shit yeah yeah yeah
0: it's like what if we use the kingdom death business model but actually <laughs> produced product
1: uh uh excuse me brian they actually uh, released within a year of their release date so it's definitely not the kingdom death model <laughs> fair enough <laughs> i need to know how many nymphs jason has on the way all of them you know what i have none of them joe believe it or not i didn't buy oh. any of those <laughs>
4: Yeah, the nymphs they did actually before the Aeon Trespass Kickstarter uh, is kind of a minis Kickstarter. Again, very like Poots did with Kingdom Death. Start minis to get the sculpting flow going. And so they did pinups.
1: Oh wait, that that reminds me, I completely forgot to mention. They have a crossover with one of the games we all played together. Oh, there's a crossover of the freaking Madara in it, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course there is. Of course there is. One um, of the Titans is based on Remy. I'm like, well, that's good. <laughs> caught. No, no, it's based, <laughs> on, nice.
4: based on Nyx.
1: Nyx. Oh, Nyx. I was going to say, I put,
2: yeah, sorry. I
3: put my hand on her shoulder.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's utterly defeated. You win. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's Nyx.
2: <laughs> Let's travel to the 1980s. Why? In New Orleans, Louisiana, a vibrant city of music, food, and magic. I'm not going to keep reading the, the ad copy, <laughs> that's, but that's... I was tempted to for a minute. It's The Dark Quarter, designed by Evan Derrick, released by Lucky Ducky Games and Van Ryder Games. And I'm pretty hyped for this one. It's a cooperative, app-driven adventure game! Yay! Yay! We love those! Indeed. We love those! comes with a bunch of different scenarios. The setting is what really bought it for me. I really like the feel of like a 1980s New Orleans type game. I was like, oh, that sounds great. I'm in.
4: Oh, I totally want the cast a deadly spell thing going, which it kind of has. And one one person knows what that means. Yeah, I'm feeling like a Gabriel Knight. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's like New Orleans, deadly magic everywhere, curses sold on every street corner, voodoo priests and creatures of the night everywhere. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for sure.
3: I really like the way they've done their locations as interchangeable cards with unique art on them. I think that's fun. And also, I really like
0: the look of the dice, because they're fancy, ornate dice that are still readable.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which
0: is a, a hard balance to strike, yeah. Well,
3: it's like they've got the filigree as like a border, rather than the number itself. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It certainly looks pretty.
2: Yeah. The game's very striking, it has a very specific tone. It's hilarious that all the item cards have QR codes on them yeah. to be read by the app, which is hilarious. Nice.
1: That's like Lucky Dice. Thing. they do it like half their games. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited.
4: And yeah, they definitely know how to do apps. So they've had some of the more impressive app-driven games.
1: Yeah, they did a Destinies, which I really liked, and Divinus. I think it's called.
4: Divinus is on the way. That looks interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. that was the one where they figured out they could do QR codes without making it look like a QR code. I'm like, oh, you finally got there. Good for you. Oh yeah. And, like, all the
2: characters are supposed to be very kind of rich. This is, like, telling the story of each of these characters as well as the story that you're going through. So. Nice. Which I think will, will work out
0: pretty well. Yeah. The one thing that I worry about slightly just from looking at the pictures is it looks like the character sheets and this kind of thing have a lot of little cubes on little tracks. And if that's not a two-layer board, those two-layer. Cube- they are. Okay, good. Because those cubes would go Destinies.
1: all over. Yeah, okay, they did it right. with Destinies.
3: Good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Interesting.
1: Mike, what else do you
3: got? All right. So next on my list is uh, Frosthaven, which is- uh...
0: Amazingly, no one's mentioned yet.
3: <laughs> yeah. I've closed my page. I don't know nothing.
0: It's Games and Isaac Childress.
3: There we go. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Y'all, it's more Gloomhaven. And you think I wouldn't be excited for this one since Brian and I just finished up my fourth campaign of
2: Gloomhaven. <laughs>
3: On a digital many. copy that we too streamed.
2: Many. But
3: it's so good. I'm ready for more. We've done all the Gloomhaven.
0: We're ready for new stuff. And it looks so good.
3: I'm looking forward to this. I want new characters. I want new mechanics. I want the improved missions designed so that they are a little less straightforward than what was in Gloomhaven. Yeah, you got the city building element. I went Frosthaven, I
0: and know. I'm excited to play it. There are copies popping up all over the country. It might have arrived by the time we release this podcast.
4: Or it might so. not have. Yeah, I know.
0: Future Brian here. It did not.
2: I mean, sure. I kind of got that after my one and a half playthroughs of that game. Like when we were doing, um, what was it? Uh,
0: Forbidden Circles?
2: Yeah, when we were doing Forbidden Circles, I was like, oh. Cool, I still like this game, but also there wasn't like enough new stuff since we weren't all playing new stuff. It was just like mm-hmm. one new person. I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, cool. This isn't enough new stuff to kind of drive this forward."
3: Yeah. Yeah, I played through the Jaws of the Lion campaign and the new characters in that as well as the new mission designs, which were a lot more varied, got me super excited for Frosthaven.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, the game engine is brilliant,
3: and there's a lot more new stuff. I think Jaws of the Lion also showed me that they learned a lot from their character standpoint, because the characters in Jaws of the Lion are a lot less cookie-cutter than the characters from Gloomhaven. Like, in Gloomhaven, you had this character who was a healer. You could play him as not a healer, but he's a healer. Right. Or you had this character, who was a tank. End of story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Jaws of the Lions characters seem to be a lot more self-sufficient in a lot of ways. And just from what I've seen of the starting Frosthaven characters, the complexity of the characters has gone up a notch or two. Yeah, which I really like. Yes, for sure.
1: Have they learned to share gold yet?
0: No. Oh, God, <laughs> no. No. Ew, no. No. No, they try to do it, and
1: then everyone yells at them.
0: (laughs) Although, I do like the thing that you're just like also collecting resources and using them to upgrade buildings in town and that kind of thing. So,
3: Yeah, I think that is their nod to – because I think you do share resources as a town building mechanic, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think that is their – you're not sharing gold, but you are sharing this stuff, so – that is their compromise.
0: Everything I've seen about Frost makes me think it is a strict
3: improvement on Gloomhaven, and I can't wait to play it. And just as a quick aside, it will also expand the universe a little bit more, which is convenient because they've also announced a Gloomhaven RPG system. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I have not looked into it at all, but like, uh, I'm going to keep an eye on it. Yeah, full of, yeah, whatever.
2: I buy almost all RPG systems anyway, it's so it's just be another RPG system I'm going to buy and look at. I don't
0: I like the idea cuz basically the combat system is still going to be using the Gloomhaven style card system. How weird. That's You how get cool. a set of cards from your race and a set of cards from your class. It's fascinating. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it cuz certainly the way a lot of the characters were set up were like spellweavers were always orchids cuz it was a cultural thing for them, but now you can play an inox spellweaver if you want to. <laughs>
2: Inappropriate. <laughs> I don't
0: know. Hmm.
4: I will look at it. I'll probably wind up buying it, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I my group would love that. So okay.
2: I always like fascinating RPG systems for so. sure.
4: I, I mean, know.
3: with the cards, it sounds like it might almost end up being a little bit like Fourth Edition, which I'm in favor of. So,
0: so.
4: Uh, okay.
3: I'm one of
0: the people that like Fourth Edition. Frank, let me have this.
4: I did it first, but then yeah, I played it. But then fifth edition came out. And yeah, it cured all of my you know, woes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the next one on my
0: list is Seas of Havoc. And this is from Rock Matter Games, designed by Sebastian Bernier Wong and Peter Gorniak. Rock Matter Games, most famous for the set of watch games, which we are generally big fans of here. This one looks interesting. It's sort of a pirate combat deck building worker placement game. That sort of intersection of worker placement and deck building is, I think, kind of hot right now. Dune Imperium has obviously shown that there's a lot of stuff to do there. This one, basically, everyone is a pirate captain and you have a deck that comes with your basic ship. And among the things you can get from the various markets where you send your worker boats out to and where you're gathering resources are new cards for your deck. And the cards will be things like... Move forward two spaces, move left or right one space, and then fire. So it's basically controlling how you can move in kind of the combat and exploration system. Don't know a ton about it yet, but there's a lot of different characters available. There were two expansions that were part of the Kickstarter. I got one because the other one basically looked like it was just a couple more player colors, and there are six in the base game, so I didn't feel like I was needing it. It looks interesting. There's a Kraken expansion, which who doesn't like a Kraken? So yeah, this just looks like it's going to be a fun game. And like I say, Rock Manor has a good tracker record with me. This one is currently scheduled to come out spring-ish. So
4: I will report back on it when I have it. Cool. That is all I have to say about that. My next one is actually kind of weird because it's Pericle Gathering Darkness by Long Dog Games. And this one doesn't even claim to be a board game. It claims to be an app-driven tabletop RPG. Okay. Which is, okay, okay. Those are certainly all words. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, it's definitely app-driven. But the designers are very familiar with the TriStat games, basically the fantasy uh, trip. Okay, yeah. And I know you're a
0: big fan of those.
4: All those solo adventures for the fantasy trip. And so this comes out of some designers from that community doing basically a co-op RPG that's, yeah, okay, it's basically a board game. (laughs) (laughs) It comes in a box. It's got dice, custom dice, acrylic standees, and it's basically a big one of those campaign questy, go here and fight on a hex grid. comes with a bunch of battle maps, and it's not a really traditional RPG, but more of a campaign. Okay. What's the genre? Right, what oh, it's do know about it's high fantasy. Oh, okay. The standees are all classic high fantasy. But the game itself and the way they're branching looks interesting. It's and I'm mostly curious to see how a more RPG-ish style group attacks the standard campaign co-op. Generally leveling up will be a little more interesting. You know, it'll definitely be more campaign focused. Each combat has its own artists created battle map instead of a generic setup of some kind of dungeon with a little bit of terrain scattered nice so there'll be some very specific terrain and issues with each combat pretty cool so yeah looking forward to that yeah sounds interesting
1: all right so that's me now uh i feel like i should just add odyssey to this title anyway but <laughs> the next one's mythic battles ragnarok so this is a follow-up of a greek game uh mythic odysseys o- Odyssey. Yes. there you odyssey odysseys yes. It's a follow-up to Mythic Battle's Pantheon, which I do already own. This one's designed by Dovote and produced by Monolith. This is like your classic Beard pretzels game. You recruit an army full of, in this case, it's going to be Norse gods and heroes and monsters and different types of troops. And usually, depending on the scenario, you're going to be either trying to kill the other player's Norse god, or you're trying to collect runes that will power up your god, preparing them for Ragnarok. I really love the Mythic Battles Pantheon version of this game. They haven't really changed much of the rules. This is more just, like, additional options. But a lot of the scenarios that they come up with are pretty interesting. They kind of give you a lot of different options. I really love this system because it's very easy to teach. It's functionally... Your character has a stat line, and as they get injured, that stat line goes down. So their defenses get lower, their attacks get lower, their movement gets lower. Some mm. of their special abilities stop working. So it's a lot of, like, risk-reward because... You can run up and, like, just spend all your activation cards attacking someone, but that leaves you vulnerable, because if you've used all your activation cards, you're not doing anything until you reshuffle your deck, and every time you attack someone, they can retaliate against you, so maybe it's not the smartest thing to do, run up and punch a monster in the face. I've been looking forward to this. Monolith's got a great track record with me. They've made an excellent Conan game that I'm a big fan of, mm-hmm. and um, it's already just expanding a system I already love. More to my poor bank account's paid. <laughs> The next game that they're coming out with is Egyptian Gods, which I'm like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> I can't help myself with this one. Shut up
3: and take my money. Yeah.
1: The sculpts are gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Game.
3: Eventually, they're going to run out of pantheons. <laughs> oh, you yeah, say that.
2: Eventually. Like <laughs> eventually. A hundred years from now. But will that
0: happen before Jason runs out of <laughs>
2: No, yeah, no it will not God no,
0: yes exactly <laughs>
2: They haven't even gone to the Middle East yet I mean, mm-hmm. Really, yeah,
1: yeah The Chinese gods are like, oh my gosh the uh-huh. Chinese technology all the yeah, guys, I mean, come on we're just gonna Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm holding off here If they go to Central America though I might Ooh, be in trouble
1: That would be fascinating <laughs> So yes, lots of potential for expansion <laughs> Oh God,
0: yeah what I'm wondering is if you can do a crossover. You kid,
1: yeah. Okay. Alright, cool. So you
0: can you can do God of War Ragnarok and, oh, yeah. and have <laughs> Kratos show
1: up. I'm shocked they don't have a Kratos figure in here. Like that would be the oh, obvious I thing. I yeah. feel to like he's in. kinda
0: copyrighted, but
1: <laughs> Well, you know, you could have a War Dad or something. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> <a natural> <laughs>
0: <voice>. <laughs> and by the way, just as an aside, if anybody hasn't played God of War Ragnarok, it is brilliant. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I need
3: to I haven't played a God of War since the first one. Should I start now?
0: Yes. I would say start with the previous one, which all I right. think was. Mike,
2: begin playing God of War. I have and then no never choice. Stop.
3: I have no choice. Now I must play through all the God of War. Hey, no, 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 hey, hey, not what I said. Yep, no, <laughs> you yep, all this what, to me. God damn it!
2: He should do that, Brian. I Do need you to hard insert Hades before any of this nonsense, though? Oh yeah, <laughs> I <Mike> have <laughs> played Hades. What? And that makes him a, monst- so yeah, a monster? Yeah, that makes him a monster. wrong with you? My God. I know.
0: The sequel's been announced. Sandy's played
3: Hades. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh. just, I've been playing other things. It's fine.
2: Brian, next time Mike streams, I need you to go onto his stream, and there's an option to spend channel points to force him I will game. do that
4: right now
3: while okay. we record. recording. Okay, Mike, <laughs> Make it
2: be Hades. <laughs> yes,
4: you are sure. not allowed to play Arkham Horror until you play Hades.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you oh, go. That's <laughs> not going to
4: happen. M's fighting words. That's not going to happen.
2: Jason, I need you to get on board with this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, there we go. Done.
0: But once you've finished Hades, you should play the 2018 God of War and then Ragnarok. Agreed. I'm done talking about video games at this Yeah. Time. Okay.
2: 2018 Gargoyle is very good. Yes. You know, one thing I've always found totally fascinating is the Russian fox experiment. So in the 50s, and this is an experiment that could only start in the 50s, <laughs> they got a big group of foxes together in Russia, and they started breeding them just for how friendly they were with humans. And over generations the wolves started to change and start displaying dog-like features. And they weren't breeding them for dog-like features, to be clear. They were just breeding them for how friendly they were to humans. And then, you know, after several generations, the foxes' like, ears went floppy and their snouts started to change. They started to functionally become dogs, which is super fascinating to me. This experiment has always just been... It's just so crazy how close lots of animals are to the domesticated versions we have today, right? Like Mm -hmm. in seven or eight generations of foxes, they were functionally dog equivalents, right? They are not dogs. They're still foxes, obviously. Right. But they were extremely friendly. They started having floppy ears. They wanted to play, right? Like they just became very quickly domesticated after not that many generations, right? When you kind of think about how Wolves transitioned into dogs, how fast that process potentially was.
3: My heart hurts for how oversimplified you just explained <laughs> the <that> experiment. <laughs> Mike, Mike, we don't have time. We, we don't do have, have time. time. <laughs> we don't have time. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. But just know for listeners out there, I gotcha.
2: No, no, I we'll certainly release an addendum. a lot of that experiment. <laughs> sure. Mike and I can have a longer conversation as an addendum to this episode, where we just go in depth about this experiment.
1: There you go, our first special episode. <laughs> I'm in.
2: I've always found this experiment super fascinating, right? Just like, as an outsider, it's like, that is a fascinating experiment. It's fascinating that they did it. It's fascinating that it started in the 50s. And so when they announced the Fox experiment, designed by Elizabeth Hargrave, published by pandasaurus games i was like i'm in let's do it i'm down obviously elizabeth hargrave is well known for doing wingspan which we as a group have uh mixed feelings (laughs) mixed feelings about let's call it it's not good the internet likes it a lot i think ultimately the internet decided that it was the next
0: best game ever the next well
2: next terraforming mars like oh this is new terraforming mars but with birds and we were like yeah no it's not (laughs) Because it wasn't. It was a different game.
0: No, Ark Nova is the next Terraforming Mars. but with-
2: Exactly. But, I, you know, I think Wingstone had some clever ideas about it. So I'm really excited to play this game. It's a strategy game, right? Each of you individually is raising foxes, right? It's ultimately a points game, right? You mm-hmm. Over the course of the game, you want to please patrons who want foxes with specific attitudes. Right, you want to do studies, and you also, I think each round they award the friendliest fox gets a certain number of bonus points.
3: For everybody here on the podcast, uh, replace the word fox with coffee, and I think it'll make a lot more sense as to why Joe is so excited about <laughs> it. <laughs> Oh, it's
0: Viva foxes?
1: <laughs>
3: it does give me, like, I'm looking at the Kickstarter right now, and it does give me very much like a Viva Java sort of jive without huh. that weird collaborative effort that viva java has i'm game i like viva java i like that you can roll half a pip on the dice
1: Mm -hmm. oh there's dice rolling about
2: (laughs) yeah it's how they randomize the foxes right you roll all of their statistics in essence
0: i'm in joe i don't have the background to this experiment but it looks like it might be interesting Yes. Joe did a well enough
1: explanation <laughs> of it. It was yeah, yeah. adequate I didn't, for I a non-scientific rigor, but like it's, it's pretty fascinating. Such your sources, Joe. Uh, okay,
3: uh, so like well. Wikipedia. The really interesting part is they also did the inverse of that, where they bred the most antisocial uh, foxes, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: and they turned into cats. It was weird. <laughs> weird. <laughs>
1: yeah. Explained so much. <laughs>
3: But yeah, just got like absolutely just vicious, horrible little asshole foxes. foxes. Okay, great. Also known as cats. Mike, I think you're up. It's me. It's you. Well, I am looking forward to a game that's called Title Blades Two: Rise <laughs> of the Unfolders, which is interesting because uh, this is a game by Druid City Games and is designed by Tim Eisner and Ben Eisner. But I saw Tidal Blades 1 come out on Kickstarter, and it was a worker placement game. It didn't really catch my interest. I do like the artwork, though. It's got really fun artwork. Very fish people, Hawaiian (laughs) watercolor pastel colors to it. Looks great. But then Tidal Blades 2 came out as a storybook adventure game, and I was like, well, I'm a sucker for an adventure game, so I Kickstarted it. I've played the tutorial on tabletop. It was quite enjoyable. I really like the combat system in this game, which is a card-based battle system similar to Gloomhaven, except you are putting out cards on a 3x3 grid, and then on your turn, you are activating either a lateral or horizontal on that grid using the card that you just placed on it. And so you get a selection of things that you can do based on the cards that you've inserted into this grid. So you are making not only choices for this round when you place the card onto the grid, but also for future rounds. So I'm looking forward to this one. And this is notably one of the first Kickstarters I did not pay for the minis. Because the standees that they were shipping had the artwork, which is what drew me to the game in the first place. And I was like, the minis do not capture the, I don't know. Zeitgeist?
1: Personality?
3: The personality yeah. of the artwork quite as well. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to pass on
2: minis on this one. You know, having played through Mike's favorite game. Uh, Jason, what's Mike's favorite game? Arkham
1: Horror? Arkham Horror? No,
2: no, no, no. The game we played through recently that Mike hated. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, what's
2: that?
4: Oh, God.
3: Train uh, the,
2: game. Train game. the train game. Train game. Oh, uh, oh yeah.
4: Vagrant Song. V- yeah, yeah. Vagrant Song. I've played Soul. through
2: Vagrant Song recently. I 100% buy that Like acrylic standees might, in some cases, and maybe all cases, be better oh, yeah. than uh, plastic sculpts. The best part of Vagrant Song is those amazing acrylic panels. Yeah. You um, couldn't
4: and... do art. Townsfolk Tussle tried, but it still doesn't look as good as those Vagrant Song standees, I know.
2: Yeah, and it's like, I can totally buy Mike just like not getting minis, because those acrylic standees look so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: So, I'm looking forward to this one. I cannot comment on the story or the universe. They did release a supplemental RPG for the Cypher system, uh, Mm -hmm. which we played... I remember it was... Fine. Roll good on a d20.
2: We played a really long campaign of that. Thank you very much.
3: (laughs) We did. Yeah. And I could not roll good on
2: d20s. (laughs) The dice are really gorgeous. I really like the blue in the dice.
3: Yeah. I'm hoping that the actual inlay on those dice come out well, because they are a transparent blue that then have the non-standard sides engraved into them. I'm looking forward to this one.
0: Not especially my genre, but sounds cool. I would give it a shot, because you're my friend. Yay! Yay! Next one on my list, we finally get back to the long story game kind of element. This is also my first one, which is not from Kickstarter, it's from GameFound, and that is Sleeping Gods Distant Skies, designed by Ryan Lockett from Red Raven Games. And this is, as the name implies, the sort of sequel to Sleeping Gods, which is one of my favorite games of the last few years. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you finish Sleeping Gods? Sleeping Gods is not a game that you finish. <laughs> <laughs> I have finished games of Sleeping Gods. There is still much more to discover. Gotcha.
4: Gotcha. Yeah, you make it through like a tenth of the world on each quest. Yeah, it's a real big world. And there's a Come on, lot
2: guys. Of the mass it. never ends. It must be lived, right? Come on. Yeah.
0: So this is a slightly different take on it. You're in a plane instead of a boat. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like it's kind of minimizing the thing, but they've done a lot of things. They've souped up the characters so that instead of like the, I think, nine characters that were in the base game, there's only five and they each have story beats. They're making decisions as they explore the world that sort of change the way they are and the way they interact with people. The combat system is largely the same. And the combat system is one of the things I really like about the game where you've got this little grid of enemy abilities and you have to decide where to put your damage. In the new version, there are going to be boss fights, which rather than being the little playing cards, are actually pages in the book and are going to have much bigger grids of things that you're going to have to damage. There's obviously a lot still to be revealed about this one. It's still in development. It's scheduled to ship maybe in August or so. But honestly, I like Sleeping Gods so much. I backed this one on day one and am anxious to see what more they do with the system. Yep,
4: totally. My number two is, again, a fantasy themed cooperative campaign because (laughs) I have a type. I just, it's a thing. This one's Hegemonia, and uh, it's coming from Laukapellet. Ah, the Finnish people, yes. The Finnish people, yeah, the other Finnish people who didn't do Galzir. Mm. They published Eclipse, you know, which is such an amazing game. And their games are very Euro, very well thought out. All of them are really interesting games. They did Takedo, and this is a weird book based map with a ton of cards, sprawling minis, and 40 hours of play, gorgeous art, and a much more Euro y system for managing things and having to slide counters around that almost where you're moving counters in pools, kind of more like Conan or maybe even Terra Mystica. Okay. Something very Euro-driving, this action system. And of course, it's gorgeous. It's well thought out. It's going to be a giant box that fits perfectly. Like, if you've ever seen Eclipse, the second dawn of the second galaxy, it has the best thought-out box organizer ever. Wow. (laughs) Considering the complexity of the game, it's one of those where you almost want just for how easy it is to set up okay but yeah it looks lovely
2: i do love games where you just open a book and that's your map man oh, it's so oh good. totally yeah
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: sleeping gods does that <clears throat> yep absolutely
2: what did i say i do love games that <laughs> do that brian i like sleeping gods a lot okay. yeah
1: i had fun when we played it
3: i enjoy sleeping gods i was just curious if you actually finished it before you start the next one i think your priorities are messed up mike
4: And base games as standees, with miniatures as an option. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Not acrylic, though, which... Ah, well... Ah, pity. But yeah, that's that. Interesting. All right. Next. All right.
1: Yeah. Again, it doesn't have Odyssey in the name, so I feel like I've failed myself. Earthboard Rangers is the next one I'm looking forward to, that hopefully will deliver next year, by a whole bunch of people. Andrew Fisher, Brooks Fulgar-Levitt, Andrew Navarro, Adam Sadler, Bridget Sadler, and it's produced by Earthboard Games. What drew my attention to this one is this is a cooperative, customizable card game. It has some of the same people that worked on the original Arkham Horror Living card game.
0: Oh, who likes that?
1: Yeah, we've never talked about it before. So Shut I'll just up let Mike and take, take my over money. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is it's actually a hopeful game, so it's like the direct opposite what? of Arkham Horror. Yeah. Are all you need to do to Arkham Horror to make it good is, instead of all the chips being
2: negative, you make them all positive, you just make all the target numbers higher, it's fine. Yeah, it would,
1: it would definitely we, feel and we've talked better. about that. <laughs> this one, humans are living mostly in harmony with Earth, and you are playing an Earthborn ranger whose job is to make sure that that balance and harmony stays. That could be something like going and removing a dangerous animal, it could be helping some humans fix some solar generators. Each person's playing a different kind of character class, and you would modify and adjust your deck as you go through the game. It's very open-world and explore and there is a time element where certain quests have to be completed by a certain time or they won't be available, or you have to you know, go somewhere at a certain time for it to trigger. They do have a uh, tabletop simulator module that I think Curtis actually played a long time ago, yep. and from what I understand, it's changed quite a bit since then. But I'm still really looking forward to this one, just because the the pedigree is really good, and I kind of like the idea that they're trying to go with. Unfortunately for them, their reach kind of exceeded their grasp. They were trying to, <laughs> they were trying to produce this game in an ecologically friendly manner, which turns out is almost impossible for board games. <laughs> Big surprise there, but they gave it a try, and I salute them for the attempt. <laughs> Fair enough.
3: This is one of them locally sourced board games. <laughs>
1: organic free range i think their biggest problem was trying to find tokens that were like made out of some plastic that didn't take a million years to (laughs) biodegrade oh yeah Mm. but yeah
2: it looks 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 promising
1: yeah yeah i like the art a lot just like looking at the page yeah they even started a podcast which i listened to a couple episodes of where they're just kind of talking about it it's just an interesting look to see kind of the philosophy behind it why they were so interested in doing this my personal belief is it was just like after the grim darkness of Arkham for so long, like, oh my god, we need something else.
4: <laughs> yeah, it looks like it also takes some ideas from the old Warhammer Quest card game. The FFG one that they redid to Terranoth recently.
1: Oh, yeah, the Heroes of Terranoth. did they also do yeah. it in a... Wasn't it a Shadowrun Crossfire? Was no. no. No?
4: So yeah, Heroes of Terranoth was... In fact, the Saddlers were involved with that one, too.
1: So no, well, that makes sense. Yeah.
4: Jason, we don't talk about Crossfire in
3: this
1: <laughs> podcast.
2: Poor Mike.
3: Except with regret.
2: I'll talk about Crossfire, because then we can talk about the game that is awful, uh, which is uh, the sequel to Crossfire. Yeah,
1: where they really learned Dragon no lessons. Crossfire. Fire. <laughs> yeah, they really
2: messed it up.
0: <laughs> seen... We've already had that discussion. We've yes, We've yes, we have. We're still angry game. about no, it. No, God, no.
2: <laughs> oh, so Jodorowsky's doing that is what you're oh, saying. Oh, God. <laughs>
0: This is our last episode, folks. It's been a good run.
1: Sorry, this is totally off topic, but I saw someone use those AI art generators, Joe, to generate Tron as inspired by Yodorowsky. It was wild. That's amazing. I (laughs)
2: mean. All this stuff sounds really complicated. Let's just go back to the golden years of comics, (laughs) where you could make cool comics and no one cared about what you made. And it was great. And then you sold them. And you got points for it. That's the way real life works. You get points for things. So I'm talking about Age of Comics, The Golden Years. Designed by... Oh, good lord. <laughs> Como Semini and Selina Gonclaves, maybe? I don't even uh, buy Lyris Games. They're an Italian company. I apologize worker, now. sorry. <laughs> very, very sorry. It's a worker placement game. You place workers, and then you make comics. You publish comics, and then you deliver comics. It's kind of a point-style game, right? You get points by publishing comics and accumulating fans and earning money, but you got to pay attention to taxes, you know, generating new ideas, improving print quality, stuff like that. It's just just a generally kind of point-style game. Mm-hmm. The theme is kind of what drew me to it. I think the theme is really interesting. I've never played a game about printing comics, and the art on the game is really nice, right? It feels very of the time from a comic standpoint. So I think it looks really cool. I'm really interested to play it.
0: Yeah, sounds promising. Again, I think the theme has to be the driver for something like that, mm-hmm. but nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Usually you see Silver Age and the modern Bronze Age stuff for comic books. The Gold Age tends to get neglected a lot. You certainly don't see movies made for it or anything.
2: Yeah, the theme just really spoke to me and it's like, oh, this will be fascinating. I'm interested in going to try. I mean, you'll probably end up you know, being just a normal old worker placement point salad game, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the theme will pull it along nicely.
0: And just to be clear, there's nothing here that is like publisher specific about here. No. You're not specifically running, you know, Marvel or DC or whoever. No, it's kind of
2: intentionally non specific. That
0: is probably a wise choice. Yes. From a lawyer standpoint. Mike, you have anything more you want to talk about?
3: I do. I'm going to hand my next submission over to Frank. Frank? Yes, how to sneak in. You dirty (laughs) cheater. Look, y'all, I am. Poor and have a lot of friends that get board games that we already have to get through this is what i call control sure
4: yeah so uh let's see this would be a high fantasy campaign co-op game
1: <laughs> wow what a surprise
4: i needed a six one this is divinity original sin the board game which has been long delayed this one was originally designed by Len Vander based on the Divinity Original Sin 2 computer game. First of all, the things you have to know are there's a Quercus miniature. It was an auto-buy for me. Quirkus is actually a skeletal cat being ridden by a knight-errant squirrel. <laughs> the Adventure is a classic Baldur's Gate D&D kind of computer game, which I think is the best computer game ever made. It is so good. We did it multiplayer, and oh, it's amazing. And this is a board game adaptation. Lynn Vander designed it, fluffed with it for a long time, and basically, Larian Studios, who is actually the publisher of this game, fired them, took development back into house, and had been working on it for a year, and they think it's right. Hmm. And Larian doesn't believe in things like deadlines or anything. It'll be done when they're happy with it.
2: Yeah, uh, Boulder's Gate 3 shows that off very well, actually. <laughs> I mean, I support that
0: approach. It would have saved us a lot of heartache with cyberpunk. and
4: yeah. yeah. And yeah, Baldur's Gate 3 is still a pile of crap, and they have actually put a date on it, which is unusual for them. So we're going to get Baldur's Gate 3 in August. But yeah, they finally say, yeah, it's ready. And it has all of the Divinity Original Sin chaos of creating some water around your opponents, then lighting it on electricity or throwing a poison cloud and setting that giant poison cloud on fire. And it's basically a recreation of all the characters from the original game. Hmm. Fane. In case you want to play an undead, in this case, archer. And it's really the strength of the fact that Larian's doing it and the computer game is so good.
0: Yeah, we played through Divinity 2 multiplayer and it was good. There were certainly some questionable design decisions, but, you know, no game is perfect. I certainly don't think it's the best computer game ever done, but it was oh shut up there's a lot of really good games out there oh the fact that you can teleport people and oh, oh yeah no I a <laughs> teleportation early that was a lot of fun yeah i mean i'm certainly interested to see what the uh, you can
4: turn a boss into a chicken i mean <laughs> what's not to like right the game is just awesome okay. i'm sorry the only thing i remember
3: from that playthrough was everything being bathed in fire
0: Yeah, I remember there was a time when we were trying to rescue someone from the gallows or something, and a cascade of area effects killed like half the town.
4: It was a a whole. See, that's why Divinity Original Sin is the best game ever. (laughs) Okay, Frank.
3: Walking back through the game, it was just like, look at the sea of fire we've (laughs) left in our wake.
0: It Uh, It was interesting for sure. Yeah. Okay, so the last one I wanted to talk about is Seventh Citadel. This is a serious Pulp production by Ludovic Rodi and Bruno Sader. It is a sequel of sorts to The Seventh Continent. Actually, sequel is probably the wrong word. It uses the same kind of card engine to build things, but they have done a lot of modifications to the base system that I think should make it a better game. Seventh Continent, for me, is a really good solo game. But as far as adding more people in, it's kind of flawed. The conception is amazing. There's a lot of hidden stuff in there, but it's a little bit too clunky, and it's hard to work together on things. It didn't quite click for me as a multiplayer game. Seventh Citadel looks like they're doing a lot of things differently. It's a new sort of post-apocalyptic medieval fantasy, is what they call it. It's no longer as dependent on survival and generating food as Seventh Continent was. You can kind of customize your action deck better. There's a world map. There's like a home base that you go back and spend resources to expand out to get new abilities and functions and stuff. I still love the way the game works. The fact that there's this enormous deck of thousands of cards and you just really never know what's out there until you find a way to find it. It's exactly my jam. So I'm really keen to see what they do with the new one. Like I said of, about the original Seventh Continent, I think it will be either an amazing game or a glorious failure. Okay. And I'm frankly okay either
3: way. I liked the puzzle and exploration parts of Seventh Continent. Mm-hmm. The part that really got to me was their like item management. Because we played it with four players, which meant everybody could only hold two cards, which was not enough
0: yeah agreed that is i think where the multiplayer stuff really fell down
2: yeah the game like breaks down at that level which you might not notice that during game testing which they obviously didn't Mm -hmm. and to be fair they were definitely targeting a smaller player count than we played with
0: yeah anyway like i said i still like seventh continent i want to see more of that stuff so seventh citadel looks promising and i can't wait to try
4: it maybe it'll happen this year (laughs) good point Something that's also on the maybe it'll happen this year's *Iridia: The Paths We Dare Tread*. That sounds
0: vaguely like a high fantasy multiplayer story
4: game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, well, it's different because um, it's um, designed by somebody in the U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Far Off Games, Cody Miller, Portland, Oregon, and this is actually. The game I want most, by far, simply based on the strength of Zaya, which is his first game. Mm-hmm. This is his second game. And he's, again, just kind of shooting for the moon with this. Not only doing pre-painted minis, but pre-painted minis with swappable heads that are 25 millimeter size. Hmm. But he's going for some weird things with his components. Everyone gets their own loot chest, so when you get loot, you get it from your chest, so it'll fit your character. It's all tokens for this loot that you kind of slot into your sheets, and they're in a chest instead of the uh, typical card deck. There's a lot of thought in terms of how the entire game fits together, how you store it, how you save it, how you pull it out. It is a sandbox game, which is very much a thing with him where you can explore an overworld and drop into various scenarios. So I suspect character leveling up might be a little wonky. We'll see. There are multi-layer boards that you pull out for all the tile lids with like 300 different tiles or something crazy like that. Wow. So it's extremely uh, extensive number of locations. Sometimes, Frank, more is just more. Oh, but in this case, it's put together in one package as opposed to CMONs. Let's just pile a mm-hmm. bunch of things in. All right, fair. The reason i picked these particular games is they're going for this set of content and not just let's spew out a bunch of stuff.
0: All right, well, we'll see how it looks. Yep, totally. <laughs> Jason, you have anything else?
1: Yeah, it's just one more. So I think I've talked about this before. Ships Tactics, the Constructible Miniature ah, Game. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By Josh Dirksen, by Lindvinder Studios. Now, this is the only one on my list that actually has a release date in 2023, so <laughs> it might <laughs> actually make it. <laughs> Could happen. Yeah, July, supposedly, but, you know. Probably helps that they already have all the pieces made for the most part, right? Because they're just reusing the uh, assembly system called Snapships. I really like that system. I, I ran across it at a... Uh, oh, where did I find this? I think it was at a Comic-Con? I can't remember. But essentially, they're, it's just like, much like Legos. You, you get component pieces that you build into models. They just happen to focus on spaceships. That's kind of like their, their passion. And that's what the original models were all built off of. Since then, they've actually branched off into mechs and things like tanks which I really liked, and mm-hmm. they actually even set up a poll with all the people that were backers, asking them, hey, would you be interested in getting other non-standard ships into the fighting system, or would you like more things like co-op scenarios and stuff like that? Co-op scenarios won, much to my sadness. Like, I love co-op uh, scenarios, but I would have loved a back-paddling system out of this. <laughs> yeah. But there was decent support for it, so it might be something they do if, if this does well enough. But yeah, I got to try this, I think, with Ryan at one of the packs and Unplugged. It's essentially a game like Star Wars Mm X-Wing. You've got a template, you do your movement. It's a lot more lenient than Star Wars is. You can actually change your facing a little bit based on some stats on your ship. It has some interesting mechanics around shooting down missiles that people are firing at you, which is missing from X-Wing. This is going to be a great beer and pretzels game. Like You put your ship together based on the model that you pick, you equip it with whatever weapons you want, you can physically put those weapons on your model, and then you just fly around blasting each other until someone's dead. As simple as it gets.
0: That does sound like fun.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that I already have, like, you know, 20 ships worth of pieces.
0: (laughs) All right, so we're playing this at Jason's house is what I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that might might
2: play a (laughs) part. Nice. Joe? We kind of talked some about, like, uh, hey, should we just include games coming out next year? Technically... This game is scheduled to come out December 2023. It will totally (laughs) happen. (laughs) Oh, we have fun. Oh, we have fun. There's no way this is coming up by then. It's adorable though. It's Slay the Spire, the board game.
4: Ah. That might make it. I mean, the game's done.
2: (laughs) It might make it. It might make it. It might not. Anything that's scheduled for December, I'm like, yeah.
3: Let's not count on.
2: They probably didn't consider Chinese New Year, and it's just going to slip by a month, probably, mm. right? Like
3: A lot of their art assets are also already finished.
2: I understand. Yeah.
3: So, maybe? Don't give Joe hope.
2: Ha ha ha. That's where I stand at this. Ha ha ha. No way. So Slay the Spire is based on a video game. Oddly enough, two of my games are based on video games, which is kind of strange. It's been a whole thing this year. And it really has been. In the Slay the Spire board game, you and a group of your friends go on the Slay the Spire quest, for those of you who have never played, *Slay the Spire, you kind of travel towards a specific endpoint where you fight a bigger boss. Each of the individual encounters along the way, it might be a fight or it might be some other kind of event, but they're really about like kind of wearing you down so that you kind of lose some resources as you get to the boss, right? You are low on resources and the boss will be tougher and so kind of the better you play through the map, the easier it is. And then the bosses are big and hard and chunky and have a lot of stuff going on. I've watched a fair amount of reviews before deciding to back this, and everything I've seen looks like it's going to do a good job of representing what is fun about the game. It also has a couple of additional components which make multiplayer with it look to be... looks like it's going to be actually a lot of fun. You can, like, block for your friends or block for yourself. And one of the things that can be hard in Slay the Spire is, like... So it's a deck building game in its core, mm-hmm. and you can totally get an unlucky roll of the dice, as it were, and draw a bad hand and just get rolled in some encounter. And like when you play with a couple different people, the likelihood of everyone getting a bad draw is a lot lower. Right. So it kind of ameliorates some of that luck.
0: Yeah, it looks interesting. I'm just looking at some of the pictures on the Geek. It looks like in a combat situation, it looks like everybody kind of has their own fight to do. But That's you can weird. block it? Yeah. Hmm.
2: Well, it's like everybody has a set of guys in front of them, but when you attack, you can attack any of them. When you block, default blocks go to you, but like upgraded blocks, better blocks can go wherever you want. You can apply them to you or to other people. Huh, okay. so yeah, there's a lot of flexibility there. Okay. But the game does end up being like each of you get a lineup of enemies that look not unlike the kind of the normal game. Mm-hmm. Like the game it's based on.
0: I
3: like Slay the Spire, so I would uh,
0: yeah.
3: try Having played the tabletop demo, it is honestly a little bit more like Across the Obelisk, huh. because it does Slay the Spire multiplayer. hmm Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Okay. Which, like, Across the Obelisk is great, so. Oh,
4: yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I think it'll be a fun experience. They use all the art assets from the game, and the game has a very cute art style, which I like, so all in all, I think it'll be a lot of fun.
4: Okay.
0: I'm anxious to see it. And then I guess the last question is, who is Mike giving his last pick to? <laughs> I think Joe needed another one. Yeah, I think it's me. Uh, okay. What? That's fine.
2: Brian, are you not interested in an asymmetrical cooperative board game where you live the life of an adventurer and pioneer in a whimsical, fantasy, persistent world?
4: But what if you're not an adventurer? <laughs> Completely no killing monsters, no wandering around. What? Yeah. What? Explain more to me, Joe, I'm fascinated.
2: Yeah, so this is uh Mythwind, designed by Nathan League and Brendan McCaskell, published by OOMM OOM OOM <laughs> Yep. And it is a asymmetrical, persistent world, cooperative town building game with an emerging narrative. <laughs>
0: Okay, now stop reading the page and tell me
2: whatever. (laughs) Never, never, never stop reading the page.
4: The other part of it is that not only do you each have your own kind of asymmetrical, you each have your own crafting system, crafting board, whole different mechanic for how you do stuff. But you're all craftsmen. You're all making stuff and building stuff and feeding people and gardening and
2: stuff. Okay. Trying to get to the point where your town is self-sustainable and meets whatever specific goals you have for the round. The art is great. I love asymmetrical games, so, like, that functionally sold me on it out of the gate. And the idea that, like, really, you're just all crafting and gathering resources, and, like, everybody's crafting system is 100% different. You use resources differently. You do mechanistically different things on your board. It kind of reminds me a little of Intrepid, right? Because, like, in Intrepid, the way you do things is very different for each player, right? Like, the way you use resources, the resources you get. How you interact with them. is just way different per player. I think this is going to be even more wildly divergent, right? Because really, like, you're almost playing your own little mini game and then assisting other players with their mini games by generating resources. But at functionally, each player is going to have their own mini game and their own kind of personal player progression. And then their progression, how well they do, will kind of affect everyone else's progression and the world progression, which I think is all going to be a lot of fun.
4: Yeah, there's one really weird thought in this game, in that there's no real lose state or win state. It's just play to unlock stuff. That's been the big contention, big complaint and worry, as well as the, wow, just, okay, play with, do whatever you want. Not because the the game's telling you what to do, but do what you want. Huh.
2: Okay. Yeah. I think it might be a giant cluster. Fuck, it's really hard to tell. (laughs) But I'm really excited for it, mostly because any game that has that level of asymmetry and is co-op and does have world building, catnip, I'm I'm down. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. Plus it has giant minis, like (laughs) overscaled 60 millimeter plus kind of huge elaborate, but more cutesy than say Oathsworn, which also has 60, 70 millimeter.
0: You can be a giant mushroom dude. Yep.
4: Absolutely. Okay.
0: I mean, I'm cautiously intrigued. I mean, looking at all the keywords on it, it sounds like it's almost like a cooperative oath sort of thing where the world is persistent between games, but it's not really a legacy thing. Huh? Okay.
4: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I do have some worries because of uh, Aridia.
0: Mm-hmm. It
4: was too easy and really, we got tired of it. And same designer. But here, you know, when the whole purpose is to unlock stuff and you're done when you unlock stuff, maybe that will work. Because Aridia's mechanics are compelling. It's just, yeah.
2: And we're, we're pretty likely to get it next year. I mean, like they're about to go to printers. right? They'll be going to the printers before the end of the year. Okay. So with the vagaries of printing as it is, like there's a pretty decent chance we'll be playing it next year.
4: Yeah, he actually did hit his mark on Iridia, even with the COVID stuff. He's working through Bridge Fulfillment, which is local to us in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So all of those seem pretty likely.
0: Well, I hope that we all get to play all of these games in the next year. I mean, it's going to be scheduling as much as delivery, but. Indeed. So that's some of the stuff we're most excited about for 2023. Dear listeners, what is it that you are looking forward to next year? I mean, in the board game arena, we can't help with global pandemics or anything else like that. Honestly, we can't help with the board games either. Just we'll tell you some good stuff. But yeah, let us know what you're into, what you're looking forward to.
2: One thing I wanted to bring up before Mm -hmm. we drop off, I didn't have it on my list, but I thought it was worth highlighting. Batman The Arkham Asylum Files, which is being made by Infinite Rabbit Holes. It is a augmented reality puzzle experience (laughs) it's not a game but it's diving really deep into augmented reality in a way that i don't think we've really seen before okay and i am really excited to try it it will either be super great or a giant cluster and it's really hard to know which one right now but all the people who are involved with it i really like and so i think It has a pretty high likelihood of being at least fascinating in some way. Okay. I backed it and there's like, I think the full back was three full episodes, right? One episode Mm -hmm. they're releasing Q1 next year, and then the other two will be later in the year.
0: I mean, I think if nothing else, we can say that that's a theme for a lot of our
3: 2023
0: stuff is that this might be really cool or absolutely terrible.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: And it's impossible to know which one. Possibly
2: sorry, even I,
0: after you play the game, we still may not know which one.
2: All the augmented reality stuff looks really cool. It's done by a group of magicians and puzzle game designers. Okay. I think it's the right mix of people, right? Because they want to give you like these surprises. It's really cool.
3: I'm sorry, did you just say it's designed to buy magicians?
2: Yes. Yeah, Magician. Did you see Box 1? No. Did
4: everyone here play Box 1? Yeah, I played Box 1.
1: I've got a copy of my house. I haven't played it yet. Do it. Do it.
4: It's really nicely put together. It's an alternate reality game put together by magicians. (laughs) Huh. And sold in
0: Target, which is the crazy thing.
4: Yeah. It's real good. Do it. It's awesome. Promise. Okay. Box 1.
0: By Neil Patrick Harris, or with Neil Patrick Harris, I guess. You know, Magician. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: famous well, I mean, it's like, magician it's Neil the, Patrick uh, I mean, like it's the logical extension of that. I think ultimately, of like, oh, hey, everybody takes their phones, and you can like see, like, oh, this thing has something animated hidden inside of it. Yeah. It's either going to be really cool or really not. It's oh yeah, to be sure.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Looks interesting, regardless. Agreed. In the meantime, like I said, happy New Year, everybody. Stay safe. Try not to have anyone performing surgery on your face if you can help it. <laughs>
2: But if you do need it, do 100% get it.
0: Yes, get what is necessary done. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to get some games in soon. And maybe we'll be back next month with something more resembling
4: a traditional episode. We'll see how it goes. Or we'll
3: all be sick again. (laughs) Oh, please.
4: Or we'll do an episode on the Polk County pot plane. There we go.
0: (laughs) And on that note, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next month. Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin McLeod via incompetech.com. Full details can be found at ascentofboardgames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening.
2: I apologize for any coughing I forget to mute on.
0: That's all right. Like I said, I'm used to it.
2: Well, future you,
1: I apologize, too.
0: Thanks, Joe. This is future Brian. Ah!
1: (laughs) What are the lotto numbers, future Brian?
0: Man, if I knew that, I would not be sitting here recording this.